the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The marks of a true church are not for the preaching of the Word of God, the administration of the sacrament, church discipline, and a huge congregation. I'm afraid that's the way people think, but that certainly isn't biblical. spent the last couple of programs focusing on this allegory of law and grace and understanding we are under grace, not law, that we are accepted by God based upon the works of another, the Lord Christ, not ourselves. Yet we still find ourselves struggling, even church-wide. We want to make it about what we do and who we are, not who Jesus is and what he's done. That takes us to Galatians 4, verses 27 through 31, as well as Isaiah 53 and 54, the glorious future of the church. As we'll see today and tomorrow, this future is not based upon what we do or who we are, but upon what Christ has done and who he is. Here's Pastor Gary with more. The glorious future of the church. In his commentary on the book of Galatians, R.J. Rushdoony makes this point. Outside of pure Christianity, all of the religions of man are anthropomorphic, end quote. That is, they originated with man. But Rush means something else as well. He says, in them, man creates his gods in his own image. And man determines his gods, how his gods relate to him. And in all of the religions of the world, besides pure Christianity, the gods that man has made in his own image are highly credible to man. They are believable, impressive, and yet at the same time, the God of the Bible is offensive to these people and impossible to bear. These people who create their own gods and determine their own way of relating to him believe with all their heart and soul in man's potentialities, that man is capable of doing anything. Give him enough time, enough money, enough education, and he can do anything including creating heaven on earth. On the other hand, These anthropomorphic religions have absolutely no faith that the biblical God can change any man or any culture. They do not believe in the regenerating, renewing grace of Almighty God, end quote. Now, in all of these religions, the main point that we will look at today is not simply that man has created his own gods in his own image, but man in utter arrogance, has determined how his God is going to relate to him and how he is going to relate to that God. And this has crept into various synthetic brands of Christianity. 
For instance, since in human relationships the basic principle is payment for service rendered, this is the way a man finds a place in the good graces of God. God renders a service to you, does something nice for you, makes your life a little more comfortable, you render payment. You repay him by some act of kindness, some loving thing, some check to a charity, some act of honesty. That's the way man has determined how God relates to him. Payment for services rendered. God gives me something, does something for me, and if he is going to keep doing good things for me, then I'm going to have to keep repaying him. That is... I must buy God. I must buy his good services. I must buy his favor with works of kindness and justice and love. And there's another basic principle in man's relationship with man that he has placed between himself and God. And that is the principle that blood is thicker than water. This is the way we live. If we have a family member that has broken the law, well... We may defend that family member and side with him regardless of what law he has broken because blood is thicker than water. So blood kinship is an important factor in relating to God. If you have someone you're related to who was a good man, that counts for something, right? Blood kinship, if there is someone in my family that was good that I can lay claim to, that will help me out in the end, right? A man told me one time that he was in because his grandpa was a Baptist minister. That's all it took. So salvation, they say, is by works. Payment for services rendered and by blood. In other words, man is his own savior, and he seeks to save himself by charity, by education, science, politics, morality, genetics. And in this passage that we began looking at last week, Paul meets this damnable anthropomorphic humanism head on. Back in verses 21 through 31, we saw that by using Old Testament history, the story of Isaac and Ishmael, an allegory of Hagar and Sarah, and an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 51, The bankruptcy of all other religions but pure Christianity, and that includes all forms of Christianity, but the purest expression of it. And in verse 27 of Galatians 4 that we began our message with today, Paul quotes Isaiah 54.1. And that statement, which may seem rather obscure on the surface, defies and refutes humanism and all forms of self-salvation and self-justification by man. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than those who have a husband. Now, the more I read that verse, and the more I study it, the more I realize how Astounding it is. Very simply, what does he say? He says the barren woman is to do what barren women who want children but are incapable of producing children find it very hard to do. 
and that is rejoice. Those women who cannot bear children shout for joy because you who are not in labor, you who are barren, you who are infertile, you who cannot produce children, you who are desolate, you will have far more children than a woman who has a husband and who is not barren. You know what? We can rest the Reformed faith on that one sentence. We can rest a hopeful view of the future on that one sentence. We can rest on this one sentence as a foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, by sheer and almighty grace, and not by anything man does, he receives salvation. Now get the point. The barren woman is to rejoice because she will have far more children than the non-barren married woman. Now, how is that possible? What is the point Paul is making? Why does he say to this woman, rejoice you who are desolate and incapable of producing children? How can she have more children than the normal married woman who is fertile? The answer is by the regenerating power of God's grace. You see, that's the issue here. Remember what Paul is hammering home. He is crushing the view that man can generate a good life himself that will impress God and by his good graces. But Paul says to all of us, we are barren. We can generate nothing. It is only those who recognize their barrenness in whom the regenerating power of God is exerted. You see, Isaiah is alluding to Sarah's barrenness. Not only was she an older woman when God came to her and said that she and Abraham would have a child, but she had been barren and infertile throughout her life. So this is an allusion to her, and the point is that as in Sarah who was incapable of having children, God's gracious power overcame her barrenness and caused her to conceive Isaac, the child of promise. So that the focus of this verse is not on what man can do and what man can produce and any religion that says man can produce anything that is acceptable with God forgets that outside of Christ all men are barren and, in moral, and morally bankrupt and without strength. So the focus is rather on what God has done and what God will do in the hearts and lives of his people. Sarah's barrenness reveals that God's sovereign overruling plan is what really governs the entire universe. We read uh, Isaiah 53 and 54 earlier because they are connected and they are the context of this verse that Paul quotes. In Isaiah 53, we see the greatest chapter in the Old Testament, I believe, in explaining the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, laying down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice, taking the penalty our sins deserve. And that is the whole point of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54 is the story of how this redemption by the blood of the suffering servant of God affects the church of God. 
In Isaiah 53 and in various other places in Isaiah, the church is called Zion. It's called Jerusalem or God's people who are redeemed by the blood of this Redeemer. But in Isaiah 54, God's people are pictured as a barren, desolate woman. Why? Because in Isaiah's day, she was under judgment. She had been living in apostasy, spiritual adultery, covenantal unfaithfulness. She turned her back on God. And as a result, God broke her and crushed her by his divine and righteous judgment. So now in that condition, she had absolutely no strength of her own to produce anything that was acceptable to God. She had been desolated by God's judgment. But by the powerful grace of Almighty God, a glorious change took place in this desolate barren woman. God enabled her to have children. Because of the power of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, explained in Isaiah 54, her desolation was over. She was no longer desolate. She was no longer seen as under God's judgment. Her relationship to God had been restored. She confessed her barrenness to God, her, her poverty of spirit. She mourned over, as Jesus told us to do in the Sermon of the Mount. She looked beyond herself and her own inability to produce. She looked beyond herself and faith to God in Christ to do for her what she could not do herself. And my friends, there is the difference between pure Christianity and anthropomorphic Christianity. All pseudo-Christianity says that man can do it himself. With a little help from God, man can do it himself. Payment for services rendered. Unredeemed man says, I can keep God happy by doing good and righteous things every now and then, forgetting that he is barren and desolate because of his apostasy and the judgment of God. And it is only by God's grace that this woman could have children at all because she couldn't have any in and of herself. And so she trusts God in Christ and in his regenerative power alone to bring life within her. The great prophecy here says God will overcome her barrenness and she will have far more children than old Israel ever had. She will have far more children than old Israel will ever have. She will have far more children than those who trust in themselves for self-justification. Those who rest upon Christ alone for salvation, recognizing there are nothing in themselves and their only hope is in Christ, are promised by the power of God that they shall someday outnumber those who trust in themselves. And their number shall be greater than the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Turn to Isaiah 54, <clears throat> please. I want you to notice the next couple of verses after this great prophecy. So remember now, Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Christ, and it started coming true with, of course, the birth of Christ. 
And it continues to come true throughout the years of the human race until the second coming of Christ. In Isaiah 54, verses 1 and 2, it talks about the barren woman having more numerous seed than the ordinarily married woman. Then in verse 2, he exhorts the church of God and he says, listen carefully, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not, or don't spare anything. Go to every pain and lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. Make this tent as big as you can because you're not going to believe how many children it will need to hold. I ask you, my friends, is that the way that you and I look at the future? Well, yeah, but you know, we're elect, but we just have this small group here. Well, understand, the marks of a true church are not for the preaching of the word of God, the administration of the sacrament, church discipline, and a huge congregation. That's what many people think. The larger the church, obviously, the more spiritual it must be. I'm afraid that's the way people think, but that certainly isn't biblical. Those of us who are thoroughly reformed are a tiny minority of people in this world today. But we haven't always been, nor will we be forever. The children of the barren woman will outnumber the children of the married woman. So we must think, not in terms of being always a small group of people, but in terms of extending the pegs of our tents, because God said... You're not going to believe how many children are going to come inside the tents of the church. Verse 3 of Isaiah 54. For you spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and they will resettle the desolate cities. Now that's quite a prophecy in Isaiah's day. This is to the Jews, and it says that your children are not going to be from the Jewish nation only, but will be from the nations of the world, from every race, from every nationality, every ethnic group. The people of God will come into the tent, and then they will go out into all the nations and resettle and reconstruct cities and cultures and nations and societies that have been devastated by human sin. So Paul, as he quotes this verse, intends for us to bring the whole context with that verse into Galatians 4, because the point of quoting Isaiah 54, 1 and verse 27 of Galatians 4 is simply this. Paul wants us to understand that the growth of the true church that believes in justification by faith in Christ alone and not by the works of the law is dependent solely and entirely upon the sovereign exertion of God's almighty grace and not upon anything in man for we are barren. The church is the product of God's regenerative grace and not of human effort or human will or human decision. Anthropomorphic religion is arrogant, isn't it? When it comes into Christianity and it takes little pieces of Christianity and mixes, mixes it with its own humanism, it says something like this. Whenever I make a decision in God's favor... God must make a decision in my favor. That is the gospel 
that most anthropomorphic fundamentalist and evangelical churches teach today. If I make a decision for Christ in God's favor, God must make a decision in my favor. In other words, the church is built upon the decision of man. All of God's blessings, all of God's favor that he heaps upon us is built upon this basic foundation, a decision I made in God's favor. Now, that's not the gospel. And it is completely contrary to the gospel of sovereign grace because the gospel is that we are barren. And if there is a church at all on this planet, it's not because of any exertion of our free will or decision that we've made in our mind. It is because of the sovereign exertion of the almighty grace of the living God. So Paul says, regarding we who are believers in Jesus in verse 28, and you brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. And you brethren, speaking of believers in Jesus, members of the church like Isaac, are children of divine promise, which later he says is according to the Spirit. In other words, believers, you and I, if we believe in Christ, or our existence as believers to the power of God's promise and the power of God's Spirit, not to our own will, not to our own efforts. Most Christians today, as I have said, in conservative churches believe in what is called decisional regeneration. That is, God will change your life when you make the appropriate decision. When you decide to follow Christ, that decision brings on the total regeneration of your life. But you must make the decision first before you can experience the transforming power of God in your life. Now, that's the gospel of most evangelical churches. And yet, what does it deny? It denies the fact that I am barren. I'm barren, so where do I get this power to produce this good decision to follow God? Where do I get the ability in my barren life to decide to follow Jesus and to give him my life to him? I don't have the power to do it. I can't produce anything that is pleasing to God until, first of all, God impregnates the barrenness of my life and brings forth a new life in Christ. Beloved, that is the gospel, not some decisional regeneration, which most Protestant churches unfortunately believe. That puts man's decision as the basis of his standing with God. God's almighty and sovereign grace is the cause of our new birth and not vice versa. I challenge you, sometime go out and do a little survey with one true or false question on it, which is this. Faith in Jesus Christ precedes the new birth, true or false. I would be willing to bet that most who answer that would say true, because most Protestants today believe it, but it is false. What does a barren person, or, or where does a barren person get faith in Jesus? Where does a spiritually barren person get the strength to produce, to generate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? He's barren. 
If God says to you, you generate faith in Christ in and of yourself, and I'll change your life, and I'll save you, and I'll bring about your new birth, and I'll give you a new heart, none of us will ever be saved because we're barren. We don't have the ability. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408 866 5607 is our phone number. 408 866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.